Welcome to Short Course, episode 101, for May 12th, 2023. I'm your host, Ben Barry. This is the last week before Area 6, which is where I'll be this weekend. So, as I mentioned before, I'll be there walking around Friday. I'll be shooting split day, Saturday, Sunday. And so hopefully I'll get a chance to meet and talk to a bunch of you folks and just generally take in the match. But I, looking back on the sort of high-level overview that I gave of the, the bluegrass match, I realized that there was probably some interesting things to talk about with the individual stages, how I shot them, and not really strategy per se, but just my, my performance and, and how it relates to my training. And so I thought it would be good before we get too far from that match to go and do a stage-by-stage -stage breakdown and just talk through what happened on each stage, lessons learned, interesting facets of the stage, so to speak. So I've got a whole bunch of notes. There are 10 stages. They were numbered 1 through 11 because stage 6 was the chrono. Uh, and uh, yeah, it'll this will this be one on the long side, but uh, let's dive right in. So stage 1 was a fairly straightforward kind of a three-position stage with a bunch of running in between. You basically started at the, the back right corner at the, the the elbow of an L, and you just ran all the way to the left. There was a, a position there where you could see, see an, uh, a pretty close paper target, three pieces of steel, that, and one of the pieces of steel activated a, a swinger. And then coming out of there, you had a couple of pieces of paper off to the right, uh, a tuxedo through, the, through a port off to your left, and then you sort of ran to the all the way downrange to the end of the L where you had seven shots uh, three paper and, and one piece of steel. And this one, you know, there, there really was nothing particularly complicated about it. It was, it was just, uh, three positions, seven rounds, six rounds, seven rounds. And the, the thing that I guess made it somewhat interesting was on my first run through, when I get down to the last position, the popper is down and I thought it didn't get reset from the previous shooter. I was the second or third shooter on the, on the stage. So it wasn't inconceivable, and I did what you're supposed to do, which is I pointed it out to the RO. I just said, steel is down, and then I kept to go on shooting because I can always, they can always give me a reshoot later, but if he says, you know, whatever you shot at or, you know, whatever, then, then that's your score. So that's my habit. I can't remember the last time that happened, but that's, that's my plan if something like that does happen. You just... You say something to the RO, and they can stop you, but if they don't, you just keep shooting, and then after unload and show clear, you say, hey, that piece of steel was down. And again, if they just say, no, it wasn't, then all right, whatever, move on. But you, what you don't want is a bunch of dead time, and then a, a an RO who says, who won't give you a reshoot. So that went fine. He stopped me, set me up for, for the reshoot. And this is one of those cases that I think was an interesting test of sort of this new somewhat more conscious post Grafell class mental game where in the past my attitude would be, okay, I need to, I need to reset. I need to revisualize the whole thing all the way through, you know, something went wrong. And so I need to reestablish a sort of perfect unbroken subconscious visualization of the whole stage. And sort of as a test for myself, I said, Nope, no, it's fine. Let me just load my mags up and I'll go again right now. And they were fine with that. And so that's that's what I did. And I will say the second execution was basically exactly the same, right down to the same struggles and results on the swinger. So from that first position, there was a, a swinger 
that, as I mentioned last week, the the way they had all the swingers set up, they were under a, a little shelter that you could shoot through, but it was protected from the sides and the top from rain. And it definitely shaded this swinger, which happened to be a very fast over the top swinger. And it was just also generally overcast and, and somewhat dark. I think I, I think I shot the entire match, maybe with the exception of the last two stages with clear lenses on. So it was very overcast. It was it was drizzling and raining for a good portion of it, but definitely for this first stage, it was it was very gray. And then having the cover over this target compounded that. And in retrospect, I I really I think it was just I I was I was front sight focused, but with the target being so fast and being so dark, I just did not track it correctly. But again, what was interesting in this mindset was I executed exactly the same plan and I got exactly the same hits. Now the hits were Charlie Delta on that swinger, but it was interesting that it was, it was very consistent. I was able to do the same thing twice in a row. It wasn't a fluke. I didn't need five minutes to go get my mojo right. And so in a way it was also meant to be sort of a confidence builder. I wanted to know, okay, if I need to just load my mags and shoot this up again, run through the cues in the stage, you don't need a a, a new perfectly smooth subconscious visualization. You can just run the same program and and get the same results over again. So that was cool. Good lesson learned. Again, not my best stage just because I I, I did struggle on that swinger, but that's, that's going to be something of a theme coming back to irons after having shot a a dot quite a bit in the last year. Movers are are really a place where I'm struggling just because I'm seeing the front sight, but I'm not, I'm not overlaying it on the right spot on the movers, especially over the top swingers. So we went from there to stage two, which was just a, a super straightforward little 17 rounder, but it was uh, at least a four position stage. So basically you, you started dead center in the shooting area. You went to the back left where you could shoot four rounds moving up to the, the front left. You could shoot four more and then to the back right position. There was only three rounds available from there, but one was a, a popper, a mini popper, and the other was a a pretty close but very tight lean, almost physically to the point where some people were talking about trying to take it just one-handed type thing. Very tight lean on a on a slash hardcover uh, paper target at again three or five yards, something like that. And then you just move forward to the, the the front right position where you had six rounds. But it was it was nice because you had one target you could shoot coming in, and then you sort of turned forty five degrees to your left, and you had a double stack. The only really sort of strategy thing that I did here was on the on the back right position. My tendency is if there's a position where there are multiple targets, my habit is to want to set up for the hardest shot because then if you know you're in that position, then the shooting from there on is easier. So you basically shoot hardest to, to easiest. And that just comes from wanting to avoid the scenario where you set up, you're a little impatient, and you set up in a good spot for the easy shot, and then you have to shuffle or move to, to get to the hard shot. So again, my, my attitude is set up on the hard one. In this case, the, the paper target was definitely harder, but in actually shooting it, I don't know that it, it really made that much of a difference. The, the, the popper was in a similar difficulty of a lean. And so I think it was a bit of a wash. I don't think it hurt me to, to take the approach I did. Most people did just come in on the popper and then sort of lean a little bit further on the, on the paper target shoot to and then drop step out and, and push forward where again I kind of went the opposite way I, I settled in deep and then and then unwound myself a little bit I don't know that it made a huge difference but that was that was just sort of the only strategic choice that I made 
but otherwise coming off the the first stage, which def- which definitely wasn't a bad stage, but it was just a little slow. The points were bad to uh, to come into that one. It was it was a good confidence boost of saying, okay, this is this is if I can shoot like this the rest of the day, we're we're in good shape. The third stage was a an eighteen round unloaded start with a a pull rope port. So you basically had to you know pull this rope straight down, and this port would pivot the door closing the port would, would pivot upward and you could shoot. There were three targets through the port. And basically the way it was that the port required enough. You had to hold onto the rope. You basically had, had to shoot it strong hand only through the port. Now the shots were only five, seven yards maybe. So it wasn't super far away shooting, but it was definitely, it was definitely enough that when you're leaning on this port, you, you had to be focused on what you were doing with the gun. In terms of strategy, the, the main thing that, that I did different. So most folks, so the stage was a triangle. You started in the middle at the back right of the triangle. There were four rounds, two paper targets back left. There were four more rounds, two paper targets. As you moved up to the front of the triangle, you could see four more rounds, two paper targets. And then through the port, you had three paper targets. So six rounds. So two, uh, four, 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 and then six. And so a lot of people stepped out to the the back right, shot four, reloaded across, shot the eight on the left side of the stage, and then reloaded to the port and shot the six through the port. So it was a four, eight, six plan. And looking at it, I don't know, I, I wasn't I wasn't feeling especially confident or cocky or anything, but I just looked at it and I thought, it's not that hard to split the eight rounds that were on the left side of the stage into two positions of four, basically. And so... I chose from the from the unloaded start to just load, shoot the four on the right side, and then four on the left, load while moving up, shoot the four more outside of the port, grab the handle on the port, and shoot the six through the port. So I knew I had one makeup round through the port, which again I, I was I was very cognizant of that. And so I was I was being deliberate. I wasn't spraying shots. And you can definitely see in the port my shooting is is deliberate. And a lot of that Again, there there's just some amount of dealing with finding the front sight visually when you haven't really been doing weird stuff like shooting through ports one-handed. And so I, I struggled a little bit with that. And that's just one of those skills that the longer you spend on irons, I think the easier it gets. And just having been off it for a little while was uh, was not doing myself any favors. And it's funny, I, I told people at South Carolina when people were asking me, oh, how are you liking carry optics? And, you know, I, I was shooting carry optics there because that's where all the heat was. But in retrospect, I, I kind of wish I just stayed on production. It's what I shot at Pan American in the beginning of this year, and it's what I'm shooting for for these matches. So I probably would have been better off just sticking with it. But here we are. And from a strategy standpoint, the only other sort of really interesting thing was that the, the two targets off to the right, basically from the start position, you could see one of them, and you had to step, I don't know, three or four steps to to the corner to see the, the other one. And what most folks on my squad did that I saw is they would just loaded and shot right to left going in. So they shot the open one. And then as they were moving in, they, they shot this one that was more tucked in and then they reloaded out of that position off to the, the back left. And again, part of what went into me going with this one reload, eight reload, 10 plan was looking at it. It just looked to me like, well, while you're doing this unloaded start, while you're sticking the magazine in and racking the slide, I could be moving into that position to see the more tucked in target. And then as, and then basically pivot to the more open one and start backing out on it 
and then as soon as I'm done shooting him, pivot, and I can start shooting the the back left two targets, and so that eight rounds in the in the first magazine would then just just be done. I knew I had I only wanted it to take one makeup shot in that that eight because I wanted to have one in the chamber for the the second magazine. As it was, I didn't end up needing the the makeup, but that was that was one of those choices as I was thinking it through. I thought, okay, you have one makeup on the the first mag and one on the second. Now technically, I had two on the first magazine, but if I did that, then I set myself up for for failure on the second mag. So I just said one on each. That's it. And I think it worked out pretty well. Again, a little bit of struggle through the port with uh with seeing the the sites and and lining them up and just having to confirm them a little more than I, I I necessarily would have liked. But overall I was I was happy with that one. Stage four was a, a pretty small, it was a 13 round stage. You had five steel in the middle and you basically shot the whole thing from a, a box behind a, a Bianchi barricade. So you shot half of it over on the right side and half of it over on the left side. And the right side you had three of the five steel targets available and a bobber activated by one and then a static paper. And then over on the left side, it was it was similar. You could see three of the five uh, pieces of steel and then a swinger activated by one of those pieces of steel and a, and a static. And so it was just kind of a, a simple, straightforward kind of pick your plan, pick your order stage and watching other people shoot and talking to the the people on my squad. The, the, the plan that I had originally had was on the right side, shoot activator, one of the static steals, then wait for the bobber to come up, nail the bobber, and then the, the static on the right. This was all on the right side of the barricade. Reload across, and then on the left side, you could just shoot it, the rest of it right to left. A couple pieces of steel, the the swinger would be out, and then you'd finish on the, the static paper all the way to the left. Now, what was interesting about it was I, I didn't have a, a great score in the end on it, but I had a good recovery. So again, my plan on the right side off the draw was activator steel, static steel, bobber, static paper. And wouldn't you know it, I I shanked the shot low left on the double action, and so I missed the the activator steel. And so by this time, I was already transitioning to the, the static steel, and without really thinking about it or consciously deciding, I just found myself improvising, and I said, okay, and that, so I shot the static steel, the activator, and then went to the static paper and had time to get the bobber on the, on the first up-down. And... I don't know if I can really, you know, put into words uh, why this is meaningful, but for me, that that experience of improvising like that during a stage is not something that I really associated with with sort of the previous trying to shoot very subconsciously, totally shutting off the the conscious mind sort of attitude that I had, and so that kind of improvisation by leaving the conscious mind engaged a little bit to to figure out plans like that, I just I found myself falling back to that and as a way to salvage a bad stage, it went, it went perfectly fine. And so I was, I was happy with that. And that definitely, again, was sort of encouraging in the sense that it's, I'm seeing results from not trying to shoot as subconsciously, but instead just having sort of cues and, and fallback plans in my mind. And when it comes time to activate one, it's, it's there and ready. Stage five was a, it was a 25 rounder in a eh, fairly small bay. But I actually really liked it. I I, I think I'm going to be probably stealing this one because it, it was just a, a really interesting use of of not not a particularly large bay, but you, you sort of it was sort of a almost a C shaped shooting area. You started basically in the middle, and you pretty much had to go to both ends, and you just basically got to choose 
which which end you went to first, and then there were a bunch of targets that you could either shoot on your way in to to the sort of end of the the shooting area, or you could shoot on your your way back out. And so there were a lot of options in the sense of which targets you take when, but there really was only one option in the sense there were only two options in the sense of which path you take through the stage. Either you start in the middle, you go left first, and then end on the right, or you start on in the middle and you go right first and end on the left. And to me, for for this being a twenty five rounder, it was still very straightforward, very simple to walk. It didn't it didn't require a ton of study or anything. And there was something about it that that I can't quite put my finger on that I found really interesting. The way the the targets were set up, you couldn't just post up in one spot and see all of them. And so you had to shoot a couple, move, and you know if you set up wide in a given position, you could be set up so you could see two or three of them. But you could also set up wide in another spot and see a different set of two or three. So there really wasn't any one magic spot. You just had to basically choose, okay, I'm going to stop here and shoot these three and then move to this spot and shoot those two. And that you basically just had to plan your route through the stage. And then as you move through the stage, just shoot the targets as they appear, more or less. Um, and I should have said at the top, I'll have my my match video for this in the in the the show notes, just if you want to watch and sort of see what I'm talking about. I know it can be tough to to visually to visualize a stage from an audio description, but I'm I'm trying not to get too much into the nitty-gritty, just what's relevant for the, the strategy discussions. But the over on the right side of the the stage, you basically had you had to shoot a, a full-size popper and it was the activator for a drop turner which was only about maybe seven yards away off to your right but it was a it was probably a 90 degree if not you know close to 90 degree swing between the activator and the the drop turner which is only a single exposure and pretty quick and there was a, a static paper in between and the the order from watching other people shoot at the order that seemed to be the the fastest was activator two on the, the static paper and then you would just catch the the, the drop turner as it was turning to face you. So I, I plan to shoot that order. And if I had to shoot the stage again, I probably would take a little more conservative plan just because big popper or no big popper, it, the, the drop turner came out real quick as soon as it, as soon as it started going. And I, you know, a lot of this has to do with how the activator mechanism is wired up to the popper. Is it something where as soon as the popper starts moving, it pulls or, for example, at, at Sir Walter, we have these mechanisms where there's a lever arm attached to the base of the popper, and that's what gets hit. So the moving target only activates when the popper basically hits the end of its travel. And so those tend to have a lot more delay in them, which, again, I'm, I'm kind of used to because we shoot those a lot. And so having a even a big popper activate a, a moving target that quickly did surprise me a little bit. And as I transitioned to the, the static paper in my original plan, taking it in between the activator and the, the drop turner, I just subconsciously called a bad shot and put a third on it. And that was a bad time to spend extra time shooting. And so you can see in the, in the video, I just, I get my second shot off on the Turner at the very last second. And it it was a, it was, it was definitely, you can see it was a sort of oblong hole as it was turning away and it was just barely in the Delta. So I, I was lucky to get out with, with alpha Delta on that one. And again, not a terrible result, but really close to a disaster. I was just taking on too much risk. And so if I had that one to shoot again, I would just take the static paper, the, the activator, and then just have my gun ready for the, the turner. It would have cost maybe two or three tenths, but the Delta cost me more than that. So, all right. And I see as I'm recording, it's funny, I, I, I write out my, my show notes and I generally have an idea of how long the show is going to be. And it looked like this one was going to be about 45 minutes. And here we are about halfway through and we're right at the 20 minute mark. So I am, I'm just going to save the notes for the, for 
the chrono and and seven through eleven, and maybe we'll revisit this on a on a future podcast. Hopefully, it'll be interesting to to do that. Just wanted to give a, a quick update. So on the the USPSA situation, as of last week, they did in fact release the minutes to say that a meeting was held by the the board of directors. So this this special meeting that that Scott Arnberg called for was held, and they basically talked for an hour. Nothing really happened. Scott Arnberg, Area 3, and Frank Rizzi, Area 7, tried to make motions that Mel Rodero was not legitimately serving, he was not eligible per the bylaws, and that a special election should be held to replace him. And Ted Murphy, the president, at the, the acting president, ruled the motion out of order so there was no, no vote held. They tried another motion to basically say the the forbearance that they had granted at the previous meeting to rescind that. Ted Murphy also ruled that out of order and said no motion would be held. And before before these motions were happening, in fact, indeed, Mel did end up saying, well, I've got my RO cert now because he'd flown to Montana to show up to this class, presumably because he knew that this is what was going to come up on this meeting and, and he knew he needed to be he needed to be ready for it. And it's just interesting that there was no it, it wasn't even like they let it go to a vote and there was some registered seven to two or six to three vote to to allow Mel to, to violate the bylaws. Ted, by virtue of acting as president, which again is only happening because Yemen was removed. So you can imagine how this would go if Yemen was removed if Yemen was still president, he probably would have let it go to a vote. Now maybe the vote still would have failed, but the fact that at at a time like this, that the stars have just aligned so amazingly for these guys where they can not only can they just let the bylaws be broken and ignore it when it when two of the seven or two of the the nine members try and bring this up to a vote, they don't even get a vote on it. They don't even the, the motion is just ruled out of order because we now have a president who is willing to just actively quash any any direction in the meetings that uh, he doesn't like. And so that that was I, I mean, every time I think we've seen every trick in the book. This this idea of declaring motions out of order and just preventing them from even going to a vote that is that's a new one to me, and so that was uh, surprising. Well, not really surprising. It it was unexpected and disappointing, but that's where we are. So it looks like Mel gets to stay. Yemen has been scrubbed from the website again. Uh, I haven't heard anything about the status of his appeal, but I'm assuming that he's going to get railroaded and he's going to be out. And so Ted is going to be interim president until the election or until the end of the year and his term is up and, and uh, everybody else's terms are up. Now it is interesting that the both Ted and Bruce Wells, current area six director are no longer listed as candidates on the USPSA website. So it appears neither of them are even going to try to run again, which should tell you something. So uh, it, it will, it'll be interesting. We'll have this unelected interim president for six months and then he'll just disappear and stop being even on the board. So we will see what happens between now and then. And as for the, uh, the, the candidates website. So I'm once again, recording this a day early. I'm recording this on Wednesday night, uh, yesterday, Tuesday night, uh, May 9th, I, I submitted my responses to the, the candidate, Q&A and, and bio, or, you know, they ask you, okay, what, what are the duties of an area director and just all this stuff that, that you can answer and, and basically make your pitch to the membership. So I, I took it fairly seriously, tried to tried to write concise but effective responses to each of the questions. 
And originally the deadline for these was not till the 15th, but as soon as the election filing deadline went on the 1st, I guess they started posting them. So I I wrote mine, submitted them yesterday. They have not posted them. I mean, you would think all they have to do is just upload the picture I sent them, copy and paste my answers, and, and put them up on the website. I kind of think it's probably uh, they don't want to post mine. There's a few answers that are a little confrontational, including one where I just straight up say the board is violating the bylaws by allowing an area director to serve who's not, who doesn't meet the qualifications. And so we'll see if they come back with that. We'll see if they end up posting my answers as is. I, I really don't know what to expect, but I have, I've done my part at this point, anything else that they do in terms of keeping, keeping my content from people who want to read what my views and answers to the questions are, that's up to them. I mean, I've I've done my part, and now we see if they'll post what I wrote as is, or if they'll request that I rewrite it. I I really don't know what to expect, but uh, we'll see. So that is that's it for this week. Like I said, I'll I'll be at Area Six, and I'm sure I'll have some stuff to talk about from that next week. That wraps up this episode of Short Course. My email is Ben at Talk to you next time.